But hey, my name is Will, and uh, I have the great privilege and the honor of serving as the pastor here. And uh, if we haven't met after the service today as you're leaving, I'll be at the first time guest table. I would love to say hello to you, get to know you, and uh, hear a little bit more about who you are. Um, But we're glad you're here today. This summer, uh, we are in a teaching series uh, titled, How to Deal with How You Feel. And uh, it's a study of the Psalms. And uh, it's a study of the Psalms and how we can deal with and how we can pray the various emotions that we experience in life. In life. And we experience all sorts of emotions in life, don't we? Um, how many of you in this room have ever been hurt by someone that you trusted? How many of you have ever felt betrayed in this life? Um, you know how unbelievably painful that can be. Uh, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with hurt? How do you deal with betrayal? How do you move on? You know, of all the tragedies written by Shakespeare, all of the heartbreaking scenes and acts um, that he wrote in his life, perhaps one of the most famous comes in Shakespeare's interpretation and his adaptation of the life of Julius Caesar. There's that moment at the climax of the story when Caesar is attacked by a group of conspirators who had been planning to assassinate him, and he's stabbed. And the climactic, most tragic moment of the play is when Caesar turns his head and he sees his friend, his protege, Brutus. And it occurs to him in that moment while he's bleeding out that he had been attacked by his close friend, Brutus. And does anyone remember what he said? He said, E tu, Brute? which means, and you, Brutus, of all people, you, Brutus? You see, as painful as being fatally stabbed is, it wasn't the knife wound that hurt Caesar the most in his final moments. It was the hurt caused by the betrayal of his close friend. And I'm convinced that hurt, often caused by betrayal of some sort, is perhaps the most painful emotion that any human can experience. And it's, it's probably the emotion that stays with us the longest. Uh, for many of us, hurt and betrayal can stay with us for a lifetime. And betrayal can come in many types of, many forms. It can be the sting of rejected love, unreciprocated love. It can be a rebellious or a wayward child who no longer wants to speak with you. It could be the, the result of a neglectful parent that you experienced growing up. It could be the hurt from a cutthroat coworker. Anybody in this town, in this city knows what that's like. It could be the hurt from an unfaithful spouse. It could be the pain of abandonment. It could be a friend gossiping about you behind your back or perhaps bullying or being excluded by a group of friends when you find out that a group of people have been excluding you when you didn't know about it. That can hurt. It could be a racial slur Maybe you've experienced racial profiling, that can hurt. Um, Or just any type of uh, abusive behavior from someone that you were supposed to be able to trust, that can leave wounds in our lives for a lifetime. Think of the phrases and the metaphors that we use when we describe when we've been hurt. I was wounded. It was like a spear in the chest. I was crushed. The rug was pulled out from under me. I was stabbed in the back. It was like a blow to the gut. I was blindsided. 
It tore me to pieces. Or probably the most common one, you broke my heart. And you know, we hear you broke my heart in love songs all the time that the, the weight of that phrase kind of loses its meaning. What a violent phrase. Our heart, the very seat of our emotions, the very core of who we are has been broken. That's a violent phrase because it's a, it's a violent feeling when we've been hurt. And as we continue in our study of the Psalms, I want you to see that the Bible is very familiar with hurt. Um, uh, King David knew what it was like to be betrayed when he wrote the Psalms. He knew what it was like to feel hurt and wounded. He was hurt many times in his life. And he prays in our Psalm today, Psalm 41, he prays his feelings back to God because he knew that we worship a God who can understand and sympathize with our hurt and with our pain and with our sense of betrayal. So Psalm 41 is our text today. David opens up in verse 1. He says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. And now you'll see from the context of the rest of this psalm that David doesn't necessarily mean financially poor. Um, He means broken, hurt, weak, helpless, Poor in spirit is, I think, what Jesus or what David is referring to. In this, Jesus would say this in the Sermon on the Mount. David says, "Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health." As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. And so David begins this psalm by first admitting uh, his own sin and his own failure. He says, Heal me, O Lord. Be gracious to me, for I have sinned against you. He admits his uh, his own sin, but listen now as he describes the pain of the sins that have been committed against him and the pain of the betrayal he's experienced. He describes in detail his hurt. He says, my enemies say of me in malice, when's he going to die? And when will his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, the one who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Even my close friend, David says, the, one who's, the guy who's been in my home, who's ate at my dinner table, the guy I've cooked for, even he has hurt me. And David says, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay him. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. I want you to see the pain of betrayal. I want you to see the pain that is caused by David due to the betrayal of his friends. In verse 5, David says, people have said one thing to my face, but another behind my back. Anybody ever been there? In verse 6, he says, people are spreading news about me that puts me in the worst possible light. They're not giving me the benefit of the doubt. They're assuming the worst about me. Anybody ever been there? David says in verse 7 that people assume the worst possible motives for everything he does. Anybody experience that? 
He says that groups of people are whispering together about him behind his back. Is there anything more painful than finding out that a group of people have been whispering together about you behind your back? That's painful, isn't it? Betrayal comes in many forms, and it always hurts deeply. And uh, we, all re- we all know this to be true, that the closer a person is to you, the deeper the betrayal cuts, right? David says in verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Psalm 55, David also says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. That, I could, I could hide from that. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We know that the closer someone is to us, the deeper betrayal feels. Whether it's friends, whether it's a parent, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a child, or whether it's a spouse, we know that the closer someone is, the deeper the betrayal feels. The pain of betrayal, the depth of hurt caused by someone you love or trusted, feels like violence to your soul. You broke my heart. A two, Brute? So what's the way forward when you've been hurt? Because I think many of us, most of us, have probably been hurt at some point. How do we move beyond this? Um, So many of us carry scars and wounds from past hurt that has been caused to us by other people. And how how do we move on with our lives? How do we thrive even when these things are a part of our stories? Some of the paths we typically take when we've been betrayed or when we've been hurt is we just deny it. We suppress it. I'm good. That didn't hurt. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Anybody been there? We mask it. We numb it with entertainment. We numb it with substances or busyness. Many times we defend against it. We have defense mechanisms, fight, flight, freeze kind of things. We put up walls. Many of us, after we've been hurt, we become cynical, resentful, bitter. We avoid relationships. We isolate ourselves, and we become vengeful. And all these things are not the path forward because they result in lowered expectations in relationships When you expect people to hurt you, you keep people at arm's length. You keep a distance. You become less vulnerable. And without vulnerability, there is no friendship and there is no love. If you're unable to be vulnerable because of past hurts, you're going to have a difficult time entering into true, meaningful friendship. You're going to have a true, you're going to have a difficult time putting yourself out there to be loved again. Another thing that happens when we get hurt and we Uh, take these various paths as we experience toxic shame. You begin to believe that the hurt caused against you, you deserved it. Maybe I deserved it. Maybe I am what they said about me. Maybe maybe I deserved all that. Maybe if I would have just gotten out of the way, then maybe I deserved it. Uh, Often these things result in bitterness, resentment, cynicism, and none of those things are healthy paths to take. Nobody wants to be bitter and cynical and filled with shame or uh, putting up walls. Nobody wants to live like that. And none of these are healthy paths to take because any of these paths require that you hold on to the hurt. To become a bitter person or a vengeful person or a resentful person means that you got to hold on to it. And you can't forget about it. You can't let go of it. And if you refuse to let it go, you will let the hurt caused to you by one person 
shape all your relationships that come after you. Sometimes even your relationship with yourself. And you have to move beyond this feeling if you ever want to experience what Jesus called the abundant life. So what steps can we take to heal from our hurt? You've been hurt. How do we move on? How do we thrive? How do we experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about? The first thing you've got to do is admit that you've been hurt. This is what David did. He tells, he's very specific about what he felt. They're talking about me behind my back. The guy who ate my food, uh, you know, turned his back on me. He's very specific. He admits where he hurts. You know, if you go to the doctor for, for a particular issue, what's the first thing they ask? Where does it, where does it hurt? Where's the pain located? Is it dull? Is it uh, sharp? How, what does it feel like? Is it constant? Does it come and go? What causes it? Does it hurt when pressure is applied? Because if a doctor is going to be helpful in any way in giving you a diagnosis or a prognosis, they, you have to be honest with them. They need to get a full understanding of what is hurting you and where it hurts. Uh, a few years ago, I was in a situation um, where I was uh, blindsided by a very close friend. Uh, I was betrayed. Uh, uh, some things were said to me. Some things were said about me. Uh, some accusations were made that were hurtful, that were false, uh, and they were spread behind my back to other people. And I remember when it all kind of came to a head, uh, there was a confrontation and I was able in that confrontation to defend myself against the accusations, which turned out to be false. Um, and I remember, like, I remember walking away from that confrontation feeling relieved. I'm vindicated. You know, uh, I had the receipts, <laughs> to, to, so to speak. And, and, and I was vindicated. And I walked away thinking, okay, now I can put that behind me. When the confrontation was over, I was relieved. Relieved that the truth was revealed. Relieved that I was vindicated. And of course, the friendship essentially ended. Um, and honestly, I was okay with that, you know, <laughs> um, because of the hurt that I had experienced. And I thought it was over. I went to bed, I went home that night, went to bed, slept fine. But then I remember for over a year, I would have flashbacks of that exact moment of betrayal over and over and over again. And it would come to me at the hardest times and I would feel the pain of that betrayal all over again. And uh, every month I see a counselor, and I recommend if you are dealing with betrayal in your life, I recommend you find a counselor. But every month I see a counselor, and about a year or so after this happened, um, we were in, I was in a counseling session, and my counselor sensed I was carrying some pain. And he noticed that I was walling myself off from other people, other relationships, and he noticed that I was... Um, holding on to a little bit of bitterness, that I was becoming a little cynical, um, that I was carrying a, a great deal of shame, that I was keeping people at a distance. And he asked me point blank, he said, Will, is there something you're not telling me? And I was like, no, 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 that pretty much covers it. I'm good. I don't want, you know, nothing else I want to talk about. Thanks. He said, no, I think, you're, I, I think there's something you're not telling me. He said, is there a wound somewhere that has caused you to be so timid and so isolated, and has caused you to set up protections against, against other people. And I began in that moment to realize just how much pain had been caused by this betrayal that I experienced. And I realized not how much that it hurt me, but how much it was shaping me 
and how much it was, it was actually setting the trajectory of who I was becoming because I was holding on to it. It was affecting my relationships with friends. It was affecting the way I pastored people, the, 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 the nearness I was, the willingness I was to get close to people. It was affecting my relationship with my wife. It was affecting my relationship with myself. And it was even reflecting my relationship with God. And it took a counselor asking me, Will, where does it hurt <laughs> for me to begin healing from the deep wounds caused to me by a close friend? And some of you are carrying around very similar scars. You've been betrayed, and it feels like that scar will never heal. It's like a wound that just won't quite heal. And at the worst moments, that wound feels like it gets opened up again over and over and over, and you feel the pain all over again. And let me just tell you from experience, you will never be able to move forward until you admit how much you've been hurt and that you've been hurt. So where does it hurt? Can you confess that? The second thing you've got to do if you want to move beyond pain, not only do you have to admit that you've been hurt, but you have to learn to forgive those who have hurt you. Last week we talked about anger. And because anger is rooted in our own sin, uh, the path forward is repentance. Um, but when you've been hurt, the pain is rooted in someone else's sin. What they've done to you, their sin is affecting your life. And the path forward is forgiveness. And C.S. Lewis wisely noted, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Um, anyone who's been really hurt you know that forgiveness is extremely difficult. Uh, your pain is very real. And forgiveness means you've got to let go of it. And, and forgiveness means that, that, that letting go of our pain sometimes feels like we're letting the person who hurt us off the hook. Uh, and when I think about forgiveness and how hard it can be, uh, I think of the Me Too movement. Uh, that started a few years ago and has kind of continued over the years when you know, all these stories of women and men coming forward in all walks of life, in all industries, even in the church, and they're opening up about sexual abuse that they experienced at the hands of powerful men, men that were supposed to help them, men that were supposed to be there for them, men that they were supposed to be able to trust. And you read these stories and they're so incredibly painful and, and they're wicked and they're evil and you're like, and you think about that, and to suggest that someone who has been hurt in that way can or even should forgive seems out of line and perhaps even cruel. Uh, there are some serious serial predators that have caused massive amounts of harm, and you're like, to ask someone to forgive that? That almost sounds cruel. And it's because we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. We often think forgiveness is letting people off the hook, that it's being weak, that it's letting people trample over us. But forgiveness is being strong. Forgiveness is refusing to let someone else's sin determine the outcome of your life. Where does it hurt? Sometimes the pain of carrying your hurt Sometimes holding on to it can do more damage to your soul than the hurt itself. And forgiveness is the process not of letting somebody off the hook, but it's the process of healing for yourself. I think of Corey Ten Boom. 
She was a Holocaust survivor. So she's been hurt. She's been betrayed. She says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free, and that prisoner is you. Uh, Nelson Mandela was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years for protesting against the apartheid in South Africa. And he says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. In the prevalence of all the Me Too abuse scandals over the years, the one that I think is the most heinous and one that has grieved me the most is the Larry Nassar scandal, if you've seen the documentaries about the U.S. gymnastics team. Larry Nassar was a physician and a trainer for the U.S. uh, Olympic gymnastics team, and in that position, he was given medical access to hundreds of underage girls, some as young as six. I have daughters, eight and five. And he used his position to molest hundreds of underage girls for over 20 years. And during Nasser's sentencing, he was found guilty, and then during his sentencing, for several days, many of the victims were given the chance to address him directly in court and the chance to address the judge. But there's one testimony in that uh, trial that stood out above all of them to me, and it was the testimony of Rachel Denhollander. Uh, Rachel Denhollander stood up, and for 40 minutes... She told in detail of how Nasser began to groom and then abuse her when she was just a child. And she talked about the pain that he caused her, the emotional scars that she carries and still carries that have affected her marriage, that have affected her her relationships and all aspects of her life. She was actually the first person to come forward and make accusations against Larry Nasser, but at the time, nobody believed her or took her seriously. And she carried the pain of that betrayal as well. Institutions and organizations that were supposed to protect her were covering up crimes against her. But finally, those crimes came to light. Larry Nassar was found guilty, and she was standing before him and a judge um, arguing for his sentencing. And she looked at the judge, and she she recommended that Nassar receive the maximum punishment for his crimes, which was multiple life sentences. And she famously asked, how much is a little girl worth? And I tell that because I want, I want to read a, quote, a long quote from her in a moment. But for those of you who question if, should, or how someone who has experienced this type of betrayal could forgive someone, this is what she said at the end of her speech in court. She turned her attention from the judge and she looked Larry Nasser directly in the face, the man who abused her for many years from a child as a child. And she said this, Larry, you have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires, a man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others, and the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible that you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. And by his grace, Larry, I too choose to love this way. 
You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know that forgiveness does not come from doing good deeds, as if your good deeds could ever erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says that it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and for you to be thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. And she said, I pray, Larry, that you will experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me. Though if you come to that point, I will extend that to you as well. That is Christian maturity on display. Notice that Den Hollander offered forgiveness should he choose to ask for it. She did not minimize the hurt he caused. She spoke very honestly and very bluntly about how wicked the things he had done were. She spoke with great self-awareness of just how much his crimes had affected her and continue to affect her. She did not minimize the severity of what he did, and she asked the judge to impose the maximum sentence, no leniency, because she knew that is what was just. But But when she turned her attention to the gospel, she was able to express all these things truthfully and honestly, but then offer forgiveness not on the basis of her strength, but on the basis of the gospel of Jesus. Forgiveness does not mean that you must minimize the hurt you've experienced. In fact, forgiveness is being brutally honest about the pain someone has caused, but then releasing it and refusing to let someone else's wickedness have power over your life. In an interview with Christianity Today, Den Hollander was asked, what does it mean to you that you forgive Larry Nasser?" She says, it means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and I trust God's justice, whether whether God chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. And while she... Rachel Den Hollander has a long road of healing ahead. I'm sure she has placed her hurt into God's hands. And you can trust that God is good and that he is kind and that he will begin the process of healing her. And so if you've been hurt, admitting your pain and finding the strength to offer forgiveness, those are the first steps toward healing. Amen and amen, right? But what if you are in a position where you have caused the hurt? How do you move beyond that? 
What's the way forward when you have hurt others? I know that for me, I told you I've experienced pain and betrayal in my life, but I've also been on the giving end of hurt in my life. And some of the deepest pain I've ever felt isn't when I was hurt, but when I realize I've hurt others. Anybody ever been there? Even David recognized that he was guilty of hurting others. He said, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned. How do you heal from the pain of hurting other people? Because that can eat at you. The first thing that you do is you repent of the hurt you've caused others. If you've hurt someone, just like David expressed, you have to realize that first and foremost, you have sinned against God. That's why David said, I have sinned against you, God. You've sinned against God because you've wounded someone he loves. And you must admit the full weight of what you've done, lay it bare before the Lord without excuse. No more, well, if they would have just, or if they weren't so, or if you just didn't, if you understood, if you, if you knew my perspective, no. Like Larry Nasser, Rachel Den Hollander was absolutely right when she said he can never experience forgiveness until he feels the crushing weight of what he has done to others. And neither can you. But when you feel that guilt and you've given it to God, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps you've wounded your child. Maybe you have regrets of the way you parented. Uh, perhaps you've hurt your spouse. Maybe you were unfaithful. Maybe you have trouble living with yourself because of hurt you've caused other people. Bring it before the Lord. Believe that He is faithful and just to forgive you. You may still have to live with the consequences of your actions, but you do not have to carry the shame and the guilt of them. So you repent of the hurt you have caused others. And then secondly, you must take appropriate, keyword appropriate, action to make amends for the hurt you've caused. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Making amends can mean different things in different situations. Sometimes it means working out to re reconcile the relationship, reaching out and seeking restoration if the relationship can be mended. That's a beautiful thing. Other times, perhaps the hurt you've caused is so painful that reconnecting with that person would be too much for them. And it's best for you to make amends from a distance. John Baker, the founder of Celebrate Recovery, uh, two of the suggestions he makes when, when you've hurt someone and it would be unwise or maybe perhaps more painful for the person you've hurt to reach out to them, he suggests two things. He says one opportunity would be to take an empty chair, put it in a room, and explain to that empty chair what you've done as if that person is sitting there and asking for forgiveness. Another thing he suggests is an unmailed letter. Write a letter and then throw it in the trash. That might be the best course of action in those cases. But in both cases, whether you've been hurt or whether you've hurt someone else, the most important step in healing is to take your pain to Jesus. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. And Jesus offers forgiveness to betrayers. In fact, just before Jesus was taken to be crucified, you know what psalm he quoted? This one. 
John 13, 18, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Who is he talking about? Judas. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone you love deeply. He was betrayed not with a stab in the back like Caesar, but with a kiss on the cheek. And when Jesus was taken to be beaten and mocked and crucified because of the betrayal of his friend, the words, Father, forgive them, were on his lips. The apostle Peter tells us that when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was threatened, he uttered no threats. When you have been hurt, look to Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he knew your name. He knew that you would betray him that you would rebel against him. He knew that you would often be ashamed of him. He knew that you would often run from him, but yet he stayed on the cross out of his love for you while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he stayed on the cross out of his love for you and me. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And we sure are an unfaithful, adulterous bride, aren't we? But Jesus, our groom, never leaves us, never forsakes us, and he stays committed to us. When you experience pain, remember that Jesus has too. When you can't find the strength to heal or forgive, look to Jesus who has forgiven us at the cost of his own life. And if, you have, or if you're in a situation where you have hurt someone and you have trouble living with yourself, just remember Jesus offers forgiveness even to you. Psalm 55.2 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Listen to how David ended this psalm. He said, by this I know, God, that you delight in me. My enemy, and our enemies can be those who've betrayed us, and our enemy can be our own sin from when we betrayed others. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. My enemy will not have the last word over my life. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that we can find freedom from the sins that have been committed against us. And the gospel also tells us that we can find freedom from the sins we've committed against others. And so God, today we lay our hurt at your feet. We lay our regrets and our shame and our guilt at your feet. And we trust that as your scriptures say over and over and over again, that you love nothing more than to forgive sinners and to heal the brokenhearted. And so we ask for you to heal us and forgive us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.